Thanks for joining us for today's message. Our mission here at Plum Creek is to help you experience intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. Our hope is that what you hear today will impact and challenge you to love God and the people around you in a whole new way. We'd encourage you to check us out online at PlumCreekOnline.com to see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we might have for you or for your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, the two easiest ways are through our website, plumcreekonline.com give or via text. Just text any dollar amount to 720-606-5563. Thanks again for joining us today. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad, glad that you guys are with us this morning. Want to welcome anyone listening online, uh, listening by podcast. As Jonathan mentioned, we're in the last week of this series all about defending our faith. And if you've been with us the last uh, few weekends, we've been talking about what do we do when we're in those situations where somebody just kind of gives us the quick little one-liner, the quick little jab about our faith. Something like, oh, you're, you're probably not coming. You're the church guy, right? That kind of thing. It's not like they want to have a conversation with us. Because if they did, they'd probably invite us to coffee and we could actually go out and, and dialogue and, and answer their questions. It's that time when they're just dropping those one-liners. And it can happen at school, it can happen at the office, it can happen uh, on the street with your neighbor as, as, you're just, as you're just talking. What do we say then? We know this kind of thing happens around the holidays too, don't we? And so Doug kind of prepped us over the last few weeks so that we'd be ready uh, for Thanksgiving. And maybe some of you had that opportunity to say something. Or maybe you're thinking about this coming Christmas in a few weeks where, where you're going to be with that uncle that just always brings it up. And it's not that he wants to talk about it. It's just the quick little jab, the quick little one-liner. Maybe it's a mom. Maybe it's a dad. Maybe they just think you're crazy for what you believe. And, and they just kind of disapprove of, of your faith and, and that you go to church. And they just have those little jabs, those little statements. And you don't want to have an argument with them. That's not what you're... That, that's not what you're wanting to do. You just want to have something helpful to say. So that's kind of what this whole series has been about. And we've been focusing in the first two weeks on this verse from 1 Peter chapter 3. Starts in verse 15 where Peter says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter isn't saying you need to be ready to defend everything about what you believe or about what Christians do or what, what Christians say or what the Old Testament says, but he says you need to be ready to give the reason that you personally have hope, that you personally have decided to follow Jesus. So for the past two weekends, that's what we've uh, talked about. And Doug said last week we would have a, a little summary card for you today. So as you leave, there's going to be this little card that the ushers uh, will pass out. And this is just kind of a summary of the first two weeks. And on the one side, it's, it's kind of the summary of week one and everything we talked about then. And then on the flip side, it's what we talked about last week where Doug shared that, that diagram. And if you missed the last two weekends, please, please listen to those messages. Great, great messages from Pastor Doug. The whole idea with that card is that when you're getting ready to go into Christmas or if you know you're walking by that, that office door of the guy that always says it, you just kind of pull it out, give yourself a quick little reminder, keep it in your pocket, maybe it's in your purse, that kind of thing. Today we're going to jump into what I believe is the most difficult subject when it comes to defending your faith. And I just want to thank Pastor Doug for giving this message to me. 
He's on a beach somewhere with his wife, and you and I will be discussing this. Now, if, if you've been around church for a while, you may even have an idea of, of what, we're, what we're about to talk about. And Doug kind of gave us a, uh, a heads up last week. It goes by different titles. Sometimes we call it the problem of pain, the problem of suffering. Sometimes we call it the problem of evil. It's, it's probably the subject that has the most emotional pushback to Christianity or, or the idea of a good God because the way the argument goes, if there's a God, if there's a good God, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Why so much pain? Why do bad things happen to, to innocent people? Now this is important before we go any further today, so I need everyone to look at me. If you're going through something bad right now, or maybe it's been a season of, of, of tragedy in your life, you need to hear me say this. This message is not for you. If, if, if you're going through that time where your faith is being shaken, you need to hear me say this message is not for you. If you have a friend that has been going through that, that kind of period where tragedy is hit or just awful things, you need to hear me say this message is not for them if, if they're doubting God. But if that is you today, I've got some resources that, that I want to give you. In fact, I think all of us should write these down because the truth is, as Stephen prayed, there's been tragedy all around us. There's been tragedy in our Plum Creek family. And, and it's just a matter of time before it may happen to us. So it would be good that we have read some things on this. So I've got some books I want to introduce. One is A, a, a Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller. And When God Doesn't Make Sense by James Dobson. And like I said, I think it would be wise for all of us to read books like these. But again, if you're in that spot right now, please hear me say, this message, this message is not for you. But I really hope that you would read one or, or more of those books. In fact, I think it would be appropriate that we just pray right now. I know Stephen's prayed, but let's pray again for the families that, that we know of and in a crowd this size, there could be so many families and individuals represented by tragedy right now. So, Father, before we go any further, we just lay families before you that we know are hurting. God, I just remember the Brew family. I remember the Davis family, Plum Creek families. God, the families in, in the Springs, the families in San Bernardino. God, other families that are represented here today or individuals that are represented today. God... All I pray for them is that your presence and that your love and peace would be known by them and that they would just be able to crawl up into the arms of their loving Heavenly Father and experience your love and peace. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is for the rest of us who call ourselves Christ followers so we can be prepared in those moments when people just kind of zing us, again, with those, with those one-liners. Maybe they say something like, well, there's no way there's, there's a God because look at all the bad stuff in the world. Look at all the pain. Look at all the suffering. In fact, if there is a God, then, then he, he must be powerless. Or maybe he doesn't care, but I just don't even think he exists because, again, look at all the bad stuff in the world. You see, it's important that you and I have an, an answer to that, that we have a response, not so that we can win an argument, that's not what it's about, but it's, it's because it's important that they know that we have thought about this, that this isn't something new. 
They need to know that people of faith have, have wrestled with this question for thousands of years and have come to understand that pain and suffering in this world is not a reason to stiff-arm God. In fact, it's just the opposite. So I'm going to give us two simple comebacks when people bring up the problem of pain. Two simple comebacks. And, and the first one is simple. The second one is interesting. And I think you're going to want to write these down. Again, I, I really think this is going to help you when you come into those situations when people bring up this particular subject. The easiest, most simple response when this comes up is this. Have you ever read anything on that topic? That's all you say. Have you ever read anything on that topic? Listen, I know it's hard to reconcile a, a good God and, and evil and pain and suffering in the world, but can I just ask you a question? Have you ever read anything on that? You don't even have to offer them anything to read. Just ask them the question. Here's why this is a good response. You're letting them know that they're not the first person to ever ask that question. In fact, what you're telling them is that so many people have struggled with this question that books have been, books have been written, hundreds of them, maybe thousands of them in every generation. And if they are ever genuinely interested in moving past this obstacle, there are actually books they can read, and now you've got three that you can recommend to them. So that's one simple way to respond to this question. The second way is more interesting, and it will probably generate a lot more conversation, so we'll spend a little bit more time on, on this one. And like I said, this one's, this one's thought-provoking. And again, if you're in the middle of it right now, or if you've got a friend in the middle of it right now, this sermon is not for you. But if you're talking to someone that just wants to throw up the smoke screen, just kind of give that little zing because they think this, is, this is, doesn't have an answer, this can be a really interesting question to ask. So here we go. If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? Listen, I know what you mean. It, it's hard to understand God and evil and bad things in the world, but, but if you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? In other words, if you had like the magic button and you could just push the button and everything bad would go away, would you push it? Now before you answer that question, I have another question for you. Have, have you ever done anything bad? Have your friends ever done anything bad? Maybe think of it this way. Before your dad met your mom, do you think your dad might have ever done anything bad? What about your kids? And what would have happened if right after your son or daughter did something bad, somebody pushed the button? Listen, I get that it's hard to reconcile evil in the world, and, and there's a lot of bad stuff, but, but if you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? And you see, here's why that's an important question to ask. If you or that person have good reason to hesitate, to not do away with everything bad, is it possible? Is it possible that God has a reason as well? 
You see, Christ followers believe God has a reason. In fact, Christ followers believe you and I are the reason. You see, Peter, who walked and talked with Jesus, Peter, who saw Jesus die and come back to life, that same Peter who's challenged us over the last few weekends to be ready to have an answer when people ask us about the hope that we have, he also wrote another very powerful statement. It's found in the second letter that he wrote, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's talking about Christ's return to earth. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is what? He is patient. Patient with you, not wanting anyone to what? To perish. But everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God sees everything. He's not slow. In fact, God is as broken-hearted and, and hurt over all the pain and suffering as we are, but in His sovereignty. The reason He doesn't do something about it yet is because He is patient with us. And not, not just the ones here in this room, not just this us, but all the us's of Castle Rock, all the us's of Colorado, all the us's of our country, all the us's of our world. So listen, I get it that there's bad stuff in the world. But God doesn't want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to know him as their heavenly father. So before you push that button, is it possible that if God has reason to hesitate, that if you have reason to hesitate, that God may have a reason as well? And you see, Christ followers believe he has a reason. And that reason is you. And that reason is me. Now, if you're thinking, Gary, how, how, I'm supposed to remember all of that? No, you don't have to remember all of that. All you need to remember is, have you ever read anything on that topic? But if you want to have an interesting conversation with somebody, ask the second question. Now, we're going to get real personal here just for a moment. We're going, to get, we're going to just get honest. You and I are kind of hypocritical when it comes to this whole subject of, of pain and suffering. We're kind of hypocritical, and here's what I mean. When you're going through pain or when you have a problem, I offer to pray for you. When I'm in pain, when I have a problem, I doubt God. And the only time I doubt God over, over your pain and over your problems is if you're close to me. Now, isn't that kind of hypocritical? You see, here's, here's what it kind of all boils down to. Here's, here's what we really all want. And don't feel bad about this because I want this too. What we all really want, can of justice. That's what we want. We want a can of justice. Because if we have a can of justice, then we can get rid of anything we find unjust. It's just gone. People that abuse children, gone. People that work for the IRS, that don't pay their own taxes, gone. In fact, let's just get rid of the IRS. How about, how about you Democrats out there? You want to get rid of the Republicans? They're gone. Republicans want to get rid of the Democrats? Gone. 
Oh, it's my, it's my, uh, it's my HOA president. <laughs> Gone. Can I tell you something? Justice smells good. And we all want a can of justice. Don't you want this? But here's something else we all want. Not just the can of justice. We also want a can of bad spray. Because bad spray means we can get rid of anything bad. Those people hanging around the playgrounds trying to sell drugs to our kids? Gone. Deadbeat dads? Gone. Sex traffickers? Gone. In fact, let's double spray them. Bears fans? Gone. <laughs> Raiders fans? Chargers fans? Gone, gone. Chiefs? Gone. Now here's a little bit more of our hypocrisy. I want to hold the cans. I don't want you to hold the cans. You know why I don't want you to hold the cans? Guess what? I've done some things that are unjust. I've done some things that are bad. So we're the ones that want to hold the cans. And let me tell you who we really don't want to hold the cans. God. We don't want God to get a hold of these bad boys. Raise your hand if you have ever done anything unjust or what other people might consider unjust. Raise your hand. Okay, that's the easy one. Raise your hand if you've ever done anything bad. Yeah, we're going to need a whole case of this just for this section back here. So we don't want God to get a hold of these. We don't want God to get a hold of those. You know why? It comes back to our hypocrisy. We don't want to get rid of everything unjust. We don't want to get rid of everything bad. Might get a little personal. We might be the first ones gone. So there's that, that little bit of hypocr hypocrisy in us. You see what we really want? We, we really want to be God. We want to decide what's just and unjust. We want to decide what's good and not good. And all of that leads to two very important assumptions. And the first assumption is this. Certain things ought not be. Certain things ought not, but ought not be. We all have this internal feeling that there are certain things that ought not be. And the reason you want a can of justice and you want a can of bad spray, and so do I, is because we believe there are certain things that ought not be. It was this sense of ought and ought not that actually moved C.S. Lewis the great British scholar, the great British writer, it actually moved him from being an atheist to a theist. In terms of the existence of God, it was this very issue of ought and ought not that broke through his skepticism. And he writes about it in Mere Christianity. This is just one of the things that he, that he came to, to, to think through and believe. Supposing you hear a cry for help from a man in danger, Lewis writes, you will probably feel two desires. One, a desire to give help due to your herd instinct. The other, a desire to keep out of danger due to the instinct 
for self-preservation. But you will find inside you, in addition to these two impulses, a third thing, which tells you that you ought to follow the impulse to help and suppress the impulse to run away. And so Lewis asked himself, where did ought come from? Because if I'm just making it up, he reasoned, then I can't hold other people accountable to things. And if it came from outside of me, then, then what, what does that mean? And he seemed, to, he seemed to observe that this sense of ought and ought not was, wasn't just in him, but it was in the people around him. In fact, he said it's a, it's a global sense of ought and ought not. So where did it come from? And it just bothered him and bothered him and it finally drove him to the conclusion and to the, to the belief that there must be a God. There must be a moral judge of the universe. And the fact that we want a can of justice and we want a can of bad spray is evidence of the fact that we know things aren't right. But this points to a second assumption as well. The world is broken. The world is broken. Not, not just human beings, but the whole world. There's earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis and there's cancer and disease. The world is broken. Human behavior is broken, absolutely, but it's beyond human behavior. And deep down, we all know that it's not right that innocent people suffer. It's not right that people just going about their business are wiped off the planet by a tsunami. It's not right that people are shot dead at an office Christmas party and other senseless acts of violence. There's something in us that says that ought not be. Something's wrong with the world. And something's wrong with you. And something's wrong with me. And can I just tell you in a simple way how I know something's wrong with me? You see, I can't even, I can't even keep the law sometimes. And I like the law. I like that we live in a country that, that is governed by the rule of law. I love that we have law enforcement officers. In fact, I'm always telling my, my two little boys how much they do for us to protect us and to help us, that we respect them, that we appreciate them whenever we see them. If we're walking down the street, I'll, I'll make sure we go over and we'll thank them. And I'm trying to teach that to my boys. So uh, I am all for law enforcement. Except that sometimes I try to avoid them. Now, why am I for law enforcement, but then other times I'm trying to avoid them? You see, something's wrong with me. And here's what we all need to know. I'm broken. You're broken. The, the whole world is broken. But you see, Christ followers have always believed this current world is not the final version. We believe there was a time when the world was in perfect order and that mankind was given dominion, given authority over the world and, and God gave Adam and Eve our most desired attribute, the freedom to choose. And when they chose to disobey God, the world was broken. 
This world we live in is not the original version. This world we live in is not the final version. Jesus taught about it. Peter and Paul wrote about it. The entire book of Revelation is pointing towards it. In fact, the whole New Testament is pointing towards it. A new day is coming. And if you've never heard about that before, I'm glad you're here today. But, but this is the way that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote about it in the letter that he wrote to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings, you see, Paul understood suffering. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be, will be revealed in us. What are you talking about, Paul? Verse 19, for the creation waits. It's like all of creation knows this isn't the way it was supposed to be. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. In, in fact, something's different, something different is coming. Paul says it hasn't happened yet, but, but something's going to change. For the creation was subjected to frustration. The world is broken. This isn't the way God created it to be. But when Adam and Eve sinned, everything under their authority, everything under mankind's authority suffered too. And it wasn't fair, but it was true. And we have all suffered because of decisions other people have made. We've suffered because of decisions our parents have made. Maybe before we were even born, and it wasn't fair, but it was true. And you and I have caused pain and suffering in other people's lives. Maybe through actions, maybe through words. And those people would say about us, it wasn't fair. But it was true. Some of us are predisposed to illnesses because of who we're related to. And it isn't fair, but it is absolutely true. You see, Christ followers have always believed that when sin entered the world, it entered the entire world. And we know it's broken because there is a trace of the image of God still in us that tells us deep down in our soul that things are not the way they ought to be. Back to verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And guys, that was written 2,000 years ago, and yet Paul says decay is the name of the game. Things decay. Our bodies decay. Stone walls decay. The earth decays. Everything, everything we build decays. And Paul says it is all the result of sin. But then he says there is hope. There is a day coming. Even creation is waiting for it. There is a day coming when Jesus Christ will return to planet Earth and he says creation will be liberated. Every wrong will be made right. Every injustice will see justice. Every tear will be wiped away. All pain and suffering will end. 
And it's taken us a while to get there, but our main thought this weekend is that, yes, the world is broken, but one day Jesus fixes everything. But let's be honest, that is not a very emotionally satisfying answer. But you see, there is no emotionally satisfying answer to the problem of pain and suffering. There is no answer that once you hear it, you go, oh, well, if, if Jesus is going to fix it one day, then, then I'm okay that, that there's child abuse. I'm okay that, that there's, there's hunger. I'm okay with cancer. I'm okay with, with, with tragedy. Now that you've told me Jesus is going to fix it, I'm just okay with it. No! There is no emotionally satisfying answer to the problem of pain. Because there is enough of the image of God left in you and there is enough of the image of God left in me that is dissatisfied, even righteously angry, and will always be dissatisfied when innocent people suffer. But you see, that's the image of God in us. It's proof that He's real. It's proof that He cares. Jonathan mentioned in the video that last weekend we started promoting our annual Christmas fund and we've set this goal of $100,000 that we want to raise before the end of the year. And it's going to be for things like Project Rescue, which is saving little girls out of sex trafficking in India. And our new partnership with One Child Matters, which is all about child sponsor, sponsorships. And we're going to be able to send our mission teams for the very first time down there to those children's centers. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to help families adopt. We've already helped too. We're going to continue to do that. And of course, there's lots of local organizations and agencies that we support. And you, have, you maybe have never thought about it this way before, but this, this is the theology. This is the, the reason, the set of beliefs behind why we do that. It's because for 2,000 years, we've been reminded that the world is broken. But one day Jesus fixes everything. But until that day, we are going to continue to push back on evil and pain and suffering in this world. We're going to push back locally and we're going to push back globally. We're going to continue to support ministries that, that rescue little girls in India. And we're going to continue to help Orphans find homes where they'll be unconditionally loved. We're going to continue to wrestle against injustice. We're going to continue to support agencies for, for battered women and, and for the homeless and for military families and kids at Southridge Elementary. We're going to continue to help those who are poor. And we know we can't do everything, but we all know we can do something. And as we push back, we will continue to recognize in the midst of this decaying world that the ultimate hope isn't us. It can't be us because we're broken too. And so we will recognize that our only hope is in Jesus. Imagine a world re-given to the human race when Jesus Christ returns. 
A world where men and women and boys and girls are free to sin, but freely choose not to. Imagine a world with no disease, no wars, no terrorism, no death. Imagine a world where people live in complete peace and harmony with one another. A world no longer broken because Jesus has fixed it. And so like millions of Christ followers around this world, we will continue to resist and we will continue to fight, but we will ultimately recognize our only hope is in Jesus and in his return. Because pain and suffering is not evidence of the absence of God. Pain and suffering is evidence that we know things aren't right and they ought to be better. So if someone throws up that smoke screen, and just says, well, I can't believe in a God with, with all this, this bad stuff in the world. We could say something like this. Well, the, well, if God removed everything bad from the world, he would have to begin with me. But I believe God entered this broken world through his son Jesus to forgive me rather than remove me. And I believe he died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead, but not because the Bible says so. It's better than that. But in the meantime, I will continue to do my best to push back against what I know is a broken world. And I will pray and pray and pray. And I will maintain faith in my Heavenly Father, and I will wait for the day when Jesus fixes everything. Would you pray with me? And Father, that is our hope this morning. In the midst of all the stuff around us that we experience personally or that we see around us, that in the end it will be made right. That one day Jesus Christ will return. One day all pain will be erased. Tears will be wiped away forever. Death will be no more. But Father, until that day, give us the strength, give us the grace to push back against pain and suffering and evil in this world and to have the faith to trust you and to know that you'll walk through all of the pain and suffering with us. And God, I pray that as you have patience with the people in this room and with the people in our town and, and, and across our country, across our world, that more and more and more people will turn to you, will recognize that, that they've been given opportunity to come to know you as Heavenly Father and that you're patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. And so, Father, if there's anyone in this room today, right now, that has never come to know you as Heavenly Father, has never received Jesus Christ into their life for the forgiveness of sins, maybe they've been in this series or maybe they came for the very first time today, but they're recognizing that they're not right with you. And today, something just kind of rose up inside of them and, and they know that they need you. They know that they believe. God, speak to them right now. And if that's you, you can just, just talk to God. Just call Him your Heavenly Father. 
Tell them you believe Jesus died for your sin, that he was brought back to life, and that you want him to come into your life and change you from the inside out. And God, use us as instruments of your love and peace to those around us who are in the battle right now. And they just need to be loved and supported. So God, use us to be your hands and feet. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, congratulations. We are so excited for you and we'd love to equip you with some resources, some next steps, and a complimentary gift. Just text the word FAITH to 40650. And if today you just need to talk to someone or would like to have someone pray with you, you can call our church office at 303-663-1714 and one of our pastors would be happy to spend some time with you. From everyone here at Plum Creek, have a great day.